Hello and welcome to Wade In, the week after the week that was at the Cheltenham Festival. Um, we're all in a state of recovery. Well, I am anyway. Um, Brendan, you're the one that's on my screen right now. You look fresh as a daisy after a wonderful week of sport at Cheltenham. Um, but you've come out of it looking pretty fly, I think it's fair to say. Oh, thanks very much. Yes, yes. Well, you'll notice that I've... Uh... Uh, I've I put my uh, Scandi ski instructor jumper on again because today I'm fighting out of Stockholm, Sweden. Um, uh, so, so that's where I went for my, my post Cheltenham jolly up and a very pleasant place it is. Very orderly, as you'd imagine. Uh, very well furnished, as you'd imagine. There about my, all my observations of Stockholm, Sweden so far. I'm, do, I'm, I'm, I'm here uh, also to check out more information for the whip debate because, of course, people will know they're not allowed to use whips. Uh, in uh, Swedish racing so I'll report yeah. back on that I'll, I'll be yeah. out of the streets after this canvassing you're such a diligent contributor well, to the podcast yeah. this is it we love it we love to see it um but also we are actually here for the wash-up show after the Cheltenham Festival not so much to report on the furniture over there but anyway we will f- we'll focus in on the racing won't we TC how are you post the big week yeah, I actually read a read a, a good article a couple of months ago about on the Stockholm syndrome. So yeah, it's quite interesting. It's not what it's not what everyone thinks it is actually. Okay, uh, well, this is not how I thought this show was going to start. No, it's um, <laughs> no, it's like I say, it's um, if you kind of like tip and kind of like bet for a living, it's Cheltenham's probably the most stressful uh, festival there is. Um, I was saying beforehand, I think if you gave every tipster the option of coming out at the end of it literally flat. Uh, without any loss without any profit um they'd, they'd snap your hand off because it is very very stressful but um yeah we got to the end of it and it wasn't too bad wow this show is like we've just had four days of brilliant sport in the Cotswolds, and so far i've thrown to our two contributors one of us is basically wrapping up with it wasn't too bad and the other one is just very focused on uh the stockholm furniture kevin please just bring this show back to where it needs to be come on now how are you post cheltenham i am that grand yeah yeah no very enjoyable the week uh very enjoyable please. week um had, had, yeah it was enjoyable working obviously but um really enjoyed it um very, very few low points which was great considering it was a small bit toxic coming into it um, but there was very few low points, some absolutely dizzying highs. I think it's fair to say that we're going to go through in more detail. But yeah, great week, uh, sport affirming, life affirming, um, fabulous week. Okay, that's a little bit more like it. And yeah, I had the time of my life there, working, social. We build it up all year long, and whether you like it or not, we do. And then when you get there, you wonder. On the Monday, I was driving there, and I thought, oh no, is this like? I've hyped this so much. I'm so looking forward to this. But what if it disappoints? And then you drove away on the Friday night and you're like, it never lets you down that festival. I loved it. At the time of my life, let's get stuck into some of the performances. There's no point us all sitting here saying that Honeysuckle was the moment of all of our racing lives because we know that already. So we're going to start. We will get to her in due course. Don't get me wrong. But let's start, lads, by flagging up some performances of the week that we personally enjoyed and they can be kind of away from the obvious I think um, is fair to say the angle we're tackling it can be equine human training riding performances of the week we want to hear more from you and uh, we will go around in turn I will start I thought impervious in the mare's chase it was a class ride by Brian Hayes uh, I love that mare she's just a class act and she's tough as you like she went off the second favorite in the end I really fancied her for it but I was also delighted for Brian Hayes and a trainer and all the connections it was one of uh, just walking out the door afterwards it was one of the performances of the week for me and it came late in the day so I'm putting a shout out for impervious um TC let's start with you not one to wax lyrical about much in life but I want your performances of the week please and why um yeah there was loads of good rides wasn't there Liam McKenna um on good time Johnny um not sure where AP McCoy was coming from on Gallup and Deschamps saying it's the best ride ever then he qualified it a bit saying it's the best ride ever in a big race um considering he was standing next to Ruby Walsh who probably gave the best ride I've ever seen on any horse in a big race with uh Tidal Bay in the 2012 Lexus um 
Yeah, I found that one a bit strange. I thought it's like most of most of the good rides are obvious, and I but I do think Derek Fox from Correct Rambler gave an absolutely brilliant ride. I mean, it was literally a copycat of the year before, pretty much with the same winning distance, the same creeping style. But the horse just travelled great for him. But you know, like I said he 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 gave that an excellent ride, but one of many. Okay, Correct Rambler getting the shout out, and for you know. A small enough team. I mean, Lucinda Russell's operation, not one of the big powerhouses in our sport. I think she had three declarations over the course of the week of Cheltenham. She goes in with Corrick Rambler, obviously a hoisin your it wasn't to be with falling in the gold cup, but he looked a million dollars. To have a small team coming there and taking home one of those big handicaps is some effort from her operation. Over to you, Brendan. Give us some highlights for you, personal highlights. Well, I, I, I very much enjoyed Sire de Burley. I mean, I mean, I couldn't have had him on my mind and I take the point of people that are now saying, well, it was a disappointing renewal of the stairs hurdle because he won it. Fair enough. I, I thought it was a better race than that going in. But I mean, what a horse this is. That's the sixth Cheltenham Festival he's been to. He's won two, what, two Coral Cups, placed in a Coral Cup, won a per temps, placed in a stairs hurdle. And now he's won a stairs hurdle. I think I think I have that right. Like I, yeah. it, 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 it's very it's it's very hard to to keep up. And it was just it, he was one of those horses where he's very much he's he's got a bit cute in his old age, and they've had to manage him in terms of headgear and what have you. And he's definitely one of the horses I thought might suffer with the fact that the jockey couldn't make his mind up for him in terms of how many times he could hit him. But Mark Walsh just adjusted, gave him gave him a brilliant ride, and did enough to to get up and win. Um, other well, I'd have to give a shout out to Harry Cobden because I'm a, a Harry Cobden fanboy. But I, th- I thought he was brilliant all week, even when it was going badly. Hermes Allen, for most of the race in the Ballymore, was just a joy to behold. It was a superb round of jumping, and then he hit the second last and tapped out in a matter of strides. I don't know. I assume there must have been something wrong with him, but it certainly wasn't Cobden's fault. But he dusts himself down, then rides them, rides them to sleep on uh, stage star in the turners and then was very good i thought as well in, in terms of getting that stay away Faye, that was another superb round of jump but he's just a master at getting horses to jump and knowing how fast they can go at any particular time and for a trainer i'd like to give a, a shout out to john mcconnell uh, i mean what a job he's done with that setting he got him he got him as a nine-year-old he's now 10 he was never rated higher than mid 130s in england he goes and dots up in a Cheltenham Festival handicap of 143. He's only run him twice this season. Clearly, this, this, was, this was a major target. And for a relatively small yard, they were really unlucky not to have a, a double. I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to rag on amateur jockeys. I know we have to lower our standards, but uh, Mr. J.C. Barry, if, if I could just suggest to him that he probably should have realised that kicking for home at the ditch at the top of the hill is rarely... The road to glory at, at, at Cheltenham and Maller Mission was a very unlucky loser. You can make that suggestion, Brendan. I think that's a fair suggestion to be making. Um, but it was great, wasn't it? You know, to see those smaller yards have their moments in the sun. Mm-hmm. We moan so much about domination in the sport by big owners, big powerhouses, all of that. Yet there was a huge variety of owners in a winner's enclosure, trainers in a winner's enclosure, jockeys. I mean, it really did make me think we've got to stop moaning about this. We've got to stop moaning because actually when you get to the big stage, lots of people are getting a piece of the pie, Brendan. Yes, uh, very fair. I mean, we have to be careful. I I do this every time. Just post Cheltenham. You go into Cheltenham and you see all the problems that uh, racing has. And then post Cheltenham, it goes so well. And it's such high class competitive racing. And you can see no problems. But I I think you you make a fair point. Maybe we need to strike a balance between the two. But at the moment, I'm just there. There's no problems in racing. George, did you not see last week? But there's there's a degree of recency bias in that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, that's fair, it's fair comment. Um, in regards to Harry Cobden, Kev, we'll head over to you now. But, you know, the ability to bounce back from disappointment, but specifically with Hermes Allen, but also in the Supreme, to keep that level head, to come out and ride the horses with such confidence. He's, I don't think, is there a lad in the weighing room riding as well as Harry Cobden is right now? Probably is, but he's riding very well. Um, and sure, look, it was it was like Nichols. In fairness to him, like the last ten years or so, like he's probably a he's probably been an overachiever of what he's got. I dare say, um, like to come away for him to come away with two Grade Ones 
with what he went with going in and a second in the Gold Cup was a fair effort now, I thought. Um, now, for all that, you can, you can praise Harry for stage star. You know, you have to have a crack at those in behind as well. Um, like there, was, there were some poor well riding displays there and amongst some great riding displays. Like I think the finishing speed for a stage star was 110%. Um, you know, he, he was given an easy lead and there was some very good riders sitting a long way off that tepid pace. Um, and, you know, they paid the price. Same in the mayor's hurdle, probably lost in all the the the, the, the understandable um, honeysuckle hysteria that basically anything that, that was held up in that race, absolutely zero chance. They, they left Love Envoy off with an absolute, um, absolute solo and honeysuckle sat close. Um, so it, it wasn't all peaches and cream now, but there was some, there was some smashing rides, uh, underestimated ones. Marine National obviously happened so long ago that it probably got lost a little bit, but um, real good performance. Watched the back last night. Didn't appreciate fully at the time how easily he beat Vassal Vega. Um, well on top of him. And you have to have lots of admiration for young Michael O'Sullivan now because uh, young guy, inexperienced. Lots of pressure on, turned in, favourite in front of him. Would have been easy to panic, didn't. You know, Wade had delivered um, at the last and went away and won well. Fair play to him, repeated the dose later on as well. Um, so that could have been the the, the the mainstream emergence of a star. We, we've known about him for a little while over here. But um, yeah, that that was, we're, we're in a very transitional period with our top jockeys, as we'll get on to later, I'm sure. Um, and there's big old gaps there to be filled. And, you know, you don't want to put a crown on a fella's head based on a good week, but you could, um, because plenty of these fellas don't train on as such, but mm-hmm. you could certainly see him finding his way into a, into a nice job in the coming years. Um, so fair play to him. And I'll also give a shout out to John Gleason. Um, what a ride, a dream mm-hmm. to share. Uh, young lad, 18, ridden about 20 winners on the track in against all those pros, riding the fav, horrific race, you know, top class, world class flat jockeys have come away from that race saying never again because it's such a shit of a race to ride in. And he, well, he, they had a plan, you know, to, to not, not get buried down the inner, wait, hopefully, deliver, hopefully challenge last and picture perfect. Um, fair play to him. And was back riding the winner then on uh, on Saturday as well. So obviously a lot of focus on Brian Gleason, the Gleason family afterwards. You know, I I know them very well, so that that was particularly sweet as well because they're they're great people, and they obviously had that um had that fella since he was uh, since he was born. So um, a fair play to JP for kind of you know giving them the spotlight as such. Typical typical JP, I suppose. You know, and there was no there was no rain grabbing there. Um, he was happy to let them get get their shine as well and enjoy their day as a family. So, um, yeah, th- those were ones. Uh, you know, we can we can talk about the obvious all day, but there were slightly less obvious ones that gave me a, a bit of an emotional squeeze, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Like like you say, it's it's easy to go over the obvious, but we are now going to tackle the obvious because we can't do a Cheltenham wrap up show without looking at the championship races. PC, let's kick off with Constitution Hill. He gave us everything we wanted and more in the champion hurdle. I think it's fair to say everyone thought and knew he was going to win, but we wanted something special and he gave us something special. Surely you can even sort of get excited about a performance like that. What is all this I'm negative all the time? <laughs> That's just bollocks. <laughs> honestly, honestly, it really winds me up. People say you're <laughs> negative. You're so negative all the time. It just it's just absolute bollocks. Uh, right, right it, up there with Nicky Henderson being a conservative trainer. It's just not true. Yeah. It's just it's just not true. It's just not true. Not and, yeah, true. like I say, but, but yeah, he just did everything. He, he just did everything you thought he would, didn't he? Let's just move on. But did you enjoy it? Is what I'm asking you. Did yeah, you of course it? I did. It's like you said, it's it was one of the meetings where I rarely go racing now, but it was one of those meetings where. You were privileged if you were there for that hour. Um, when I was talking about, you know, Nico de Boimer and the lead up to the race, he just said that when people ask me about this horse, he says it's actually quite boring because everyone knows what this horse is capable of. Everyone, the expectations are so high and I've got nothing more to give. He, he just said when, when people ask me about this horse and <laughs> it's just a relief when he goes and does what they all expected him to do. So that Constitution Hill was 
you know, it's a brilliant horse. Like I said, he's uh, most people to think he's, you know, the horse of a lifetime or whatever. And I think he will go on to prove that, whether that's over fences next season. You know, there's some you know, fanciful, you know, talk about the flat uh, as well. But so we don't know where he's going to go. But wherever he goes, he's just going to beat whatever is put in front of him. He would have thought. I mean, I had a look at the exchange markets for Cheltenham uh, next year, and I think he's quoted in about six of them. So nobody, he's even quoted in the stairs hurdle. So nobody knows where he's going to go. Um, as regards, you know, if you think that you can get trumped, and obviously you're all there, well, um, Kevin and yourself were there. I mean, Honeysucker was just like, it was just like spellbinding. And, you know, even on the TV, the atmosphere and the, you know, the appreciation came screaming across the TV. So, yeah, it was just an absolute brilliant hour. And like I said, uh, one of the rare occasions where I regret, you know, not not being on a racetrack. Oh, yeah, rare occasion. Yeah, indeed. Well, look, Brendan, I don't think you were there either. But, I mean, those two performances, but specifically Constitution Hill, I mean, we should focus in on him because where is he going to go next? I, I mean, Tony says it's fanciful chat about the flat. I think it's probably a little bit high in the sky. But what do you expect we'll be talking about Constitution doing this moment in 12 months' time or having done? On the champion hurdle. I'd, I'd say if he, stay, if he stays sound, he'd win uh, four fighting fifths, four Christmas hurdles and four champion hurdles. That's, <laughs> that, would be, that would be my expectation. I know, I, know, I know what you're thinking. It'd be, it'd be a bit of a shame if the last time we see him jump on a fence, that time we walked through the last when he got beat with his point to point. But you have to think about it. Uh, so this happened last year. There, there was a real attempt by a bookmaker to get Honeysuckle and Constitutional to race against one another in uh, Punchestown because Buckley had come on and said oh we'd love to go to Punchestown and it's a bit of a good cop, cop bad cop thing with himself and Henderson and then Henderson comes in and says ah yeah well he, he, you know he's only a five-year-old I think he's probably done enough for this season and that was the end of that and I think in fairness to Henderson he is at the top of the tree this horse in uh, as a hurdler and the champion hurdle is a legitimate championship division so why would would they go anywhere else why would they take a chance over fences now i of course would love to see him win a fence uh, run over I, I saw something on twitter today some lad was comparing him to Frankel and he said, like Frankel, he races with the choke out. And I said, better go back and watch this video because the horses that, I mean, he's literally a child's pony. We've all seen the videos of three-year-olds people yeah. on his back. And so I watched him at the race and it, as with every other race, he's like, he, he, the reason I think I maybe got onto Constitution Hill early and didn't with say Frankel and Sprinter Sacre is I'm like Greenpeace. I love my horses who are into energy conservation. And this horse, he just doesn't waste any energy. You see him getting off, the, they followed his every move, of course, on the telly, and you see him getting off the box and he pricks his ears, right, just go in and do this. He walks around the parade ring like a lamb, and then he just goes into the race, and he's a stone-cold killer. He's just the perfect racehorse in terms of temperament, and obviously has an outrageous amount of ability. So I think for all that he has so much speed, I actually think he probably could stay a Gold Cup trip. He'd certainly, uh, with the way he settled in his races, give himself every chance to do it. But I just think Buckley's ultimately going to say, because he's very friendly with Nicky Henderson, I don't think he's going to turn around and say, oh, I want this horse to do this. He'll say to Henderson, what do you think is best for my pride and joy? And Henderson will say, well, we win these champion hurdles. And I would say, just because I, I am a terrible man for bashing Nicky, what do they do with, the, with him? It'd be so difficult. If they decide to go novice chasing with him, wait did you see the waste of a novice chase campaign? That would be. They, he, they wouldn't be able to find a horse to take him on. It'd be basically glorified school accessions until he got to Cheltenham. And then whether he went for the Arkle or the Tort Turners, the other race would be massively oversubscribed. You'd have two or three in the arc. So that's a complete waste of time for him. But it might actually be better because it, the champion hurdle would be a right race because I'd, I'd, I'd make a prediction that if they decided to go novice chasing the uh, connections of Imperi Pass and Marine National, might go, oh, I think uh, I think what we really need is another season over hurdles. <laughs> so, so it could be good for the champion hurdle in terms of being a more competitive race. But I, I think uh, you'll see Constitution Hill romping home in the champion hurdle this time next year. Oh, I mean, it's a complex topic, Kevin. We can't predict the future. But for all that is probably the most obvious option. It's not what we want to see, Kev, is it? Um, yeah, but look, you have to be realistic, don't you? Like, Nicky will, will get 
will, will be, you know, punchy in his chat, you know, at this stage, you know, talking about the flat and chasing, etc. But like Brendan says, I say in the cold light of day, um, he, he'll want to stay hurdling and that will drive away a bunch of, you know, the likes of Impera Passe and, and, and Marine National, that'll drive them chasing. Um, and look, wherever Constitution Hill goes, he's going to he's going to have an, <laughs> he's going to clear out the division. You know, if he stays hurdling, a bunch will go chasing. If he goes chasing, a bunch will stay hurdling. Um, you know, he's going to, you know, the we're going to be a victim of his brilliance in a way <laughs> because no one's <laughs> going to want to take him on because, you know, like Brendan says, they're over hurdles. How do you beat him? I don't think you can. I don't know if we've seen a horse. In, in 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 our time in racing, I could beat him. Um, so you know, he he a little bit like like now uh, kind of a higher class version of honeysuckle. Like you'll you'll recall when they decided there was chat about her going chasing at one point, and when they decided to stay hurdling, you know, we were saying on this podcast, you know, you know, great, you know, she'll she'll win the hatless grace, she'll win the Irish champion hurdle, she'll win the champion hurdle, she'll win Punchestown. There's nothing around to beat her, and it'll be lovely for her connections, but it won't be particularly exciting. And I think we might be getting much the same in Constitution Hill. But uh, look, what can you do? He's brilliant. He's brilliant. We, we should be we should appreciate him. I'd love to see him chasing. Obviously, that's what I'd love to see happen. Um, but look, it's easy to say these things. If I owned him. What would I do? Jesus. <laughs> nah, no. I know I know Mick Buckley's in a different position to me. Um, age profile and, and money profile and everything else might be easier for him to, to do a chancy thing, but um I think Nicky will be on his shoulder, um, discouraging too much risk if he can at all. But the well, wait, see, who knows? Brilliant horse, excellent performance last Tuesday. Um, impossible to throw a stone at it. Like he probably ran in performance terms, I dare say he ran a bigger race, probably winning the Supreme year earlier. Um, because the run of the race allowed him to do that, but um, yeah, brilliant horse. Fair play to all yeah. involved. It was nearly more. Imp- it was nearly more impressive, though, wasn't it? Because I half poo pooed Vanessa saying he's going to win by ten lengths because of the likelihood of a, 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 a relatively soft early gallop. But you were spot on, Vanessa. Well, you were unlucky actually, but he could have won fourteen lengths off those fractions. That's how good he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much, Brendan. Um, Kev, we'll we'll leave honeysuckle to you. We were both there on track. Um, and I guess just we should give a nod to her for all the obvious reasons that have been well covered in the press. But to follow on from Constitution Hill, have the high of that and then the mayor's hurdle. I mean, I watched it on the big screen in the paddock and everyone around me, all racing people, all industry people, everyone just wanted Honeysuckle to win. And then when she crossed the line in front, people who wouldn't notoriously be in any way like, you know, effusive characters, should we say, were kind of like, this is it. This is just so special. Just you couldn't help but get swept away in the emotion of the moment. You were down with the ITV team watching it. I actually haven't watched that coverage back yet. But I imagine that everyone around you, Kev, was sort of floating on some other plane, basically, at that stage. Something else, like, like I, it took me a little while to take it in now, because like to be brutally honest, I hadn't really and fully thought about the prospect of her winning like I know she was joint fav and well fancied etc but um, like I, I didn't particularly fancy her and it was only when it happened that I went oh, Jesus Christ like this is something else like you know the way you don't want to you don't want to be buy too heavily into the likelihood of a fairy tale happening and then it happens and Jesus wow and it, where it really hit me was actually coming down to two out because we're standing bang in the middle of the, of the parade ring watching on the screen and as they're coming down to two out I, like I just hear this wall of noise starts to build from the from the what do we call it the, the viewing area over the winners enclosure that big bank there was obviously a lot of people standing there and Jesus Christ the noise I'd heard nothing like it ever um, in, in in my few years going to Cheltenham and standing around that neck of the woods and it just built and built and all of a sudden and when the penny dropped with everyone it, this is happening just everyone started roaring for including myself. Um, and look, like I say, look, I don't think she had to be anywhere remotely approaching her best. Um, Rachel was in the right spot. Um, look, made made things a little bit difficult for herself by not being super fluent at the last two, but that almost made it more exciting because she really had to dig deep into you know what remains of, of her ability um, uh, to, to to get the job done. And um, yeah, she, the scenes afterwards they speak for themselves. You know, I think ITV had some particularly good. Um, images there from the, the wire cam over the parade ring where you could really appreciate what was happening and, and, and the noise and 
It was special. It was more than horse race. Like if there, if nothing, if if none of the tragedy that, that befell the Bramhead family had happened, it, it would have been really special. You know, it would have been the the the, the victorious farewell to to this wonderful mayor that you know isn't what she used to be, but still has her still has that that tigerish attitude to get the job done. That would have been very memorable and notable in itself. Like one of the more dramatic farewells. To, to a star that we've seen on the biggest stage for a long time. But then you have that added much deeper layer of what the Debromheads have been through, um, like being through something that no one should ever have to go through. And then like, I just I've so much admiration for that team because like we know what this business is like, like training racehorses, like it's so competitive, it's absolutely ruthless. And to be able to keep the train on the tracks through all that and i know you might think oh look the, the system's there the team take over it's not as simple as that um and for them to you know and, and they didn't maybe have the best time through the season but to get to the biggest stage where everyone wants to win uh, and have the winners they had like yeah. genuinely remarkable um yeah. and, and uh, like there, there's more layers to it but it just there was so much like I, like i said i was slightly overwhelmed and i'm not the, the, the overwhelmed type um, and I wouldn't have been the best to, to talk to there for about 20 minutes after the race because I just I, I was just struggling to compute this. Um, so it, it really was like with a bit of luck now, we'd all be going to Cheltenham for, for, for many decades to come now. But geez, we could be we could be a long time getting something like that, possibly never again, you know. Absolutely. No, I agree with those thoughts. Now, um, Kev's already mentioned Rachel and her ride on Honeysuckle. Exceptional as always. Uh, we can move on, Brendan. We'll come to the, the Ryanair. Envoy Allen winning that. Uh, we thought at the start of the season that Cheveley Park might take the Ryanair chase, but we wouldn't have expected it to be with Envoy Allen. He is unreliable, quirky, talented, a character seemingly, but on the day when everything went wrong for his main market rival in Shishkin, everything went right for him. What more do you have to add? Well, I, I, again, I suppose we have to, to, to give Rachel our props because not everything went right. He was fierce keen early on in the race. Uh, I, I didn't think he, he made it easy for her, but she, she seemed to get him into a good jumping rhythm, uh, get him a, a little bit of cover. I still thought he was going to pay the price uh, late on, but... They've done some job with him, uh, the Bromheads. I mean, Kevin was mentioning uh, keeping things on the rails, and it has been it hasn't been a great season for them this year. And even coming into Cheltenham, I was a little bit worried about the stable form, but but three winners, they've got this horse back to well, I, I, I suppose that that's basically a, a career path. Well, certainly over fences. Uh, they, yeah, they've basically got him back. Uh, to, to where he was, which is a remarkable effort. Your, your point about it being a bit quirky and inconsistent, whether he'll back it up is, is hard to know. And I suppose it was also just a, another lesson in um, being careful of recency bias because I, I didn't fancy Shishkin in Ascot because he jumped so poorly um, in the champion chase um, in 2022 and, and has come back in the Tinkle Creek. Then he jumps like a bunny in Ascot and you think, oh, they fixed him now. And then the old jumping frailties resurface at Cheltenham. So uh, we should uh, perhaps be careful about paying too much attention to the last run. Yeah, TC, what were your specifically Shishkin reflections? Was he uh, the best horse in the race and unlucky or was he never going? There seems to be a bit of a split opinion when it comes to Shishkin's run. For me, he never looked like the Shishkin at Ascot, I didn't feel. No, I, in the early stages of the race, you thought there might be shades of the champion chase again because yeah, yeah, rousted along there. And I was looking at the in-running market and I, I expected him to drift much more than he did. He he didn't drift that markedly, maybe a point or so. But yeah, I mean, he did a lot wrong, didn't he? Hit fences, never really travelled, stuck on really well. And you know, perhaps the people that were calling him for running the Gold Cup were right. I mean, I can't see him finishing anything better than third in the Gold Cup if he had run in it. But, you know, he just seems like a step up in, a further step up in trip is needed. But I get the impression that, you know, he just wasn't on an off day. And he, he's he's getting towards a stage where, even though he probably didn't run that far off his best, he's got a little bit of a patchy profile now, hasn't he? And um, so, yeah, I mean, the jury's out what they're going to do with him, but I'd imagine they'll be looking at the Gold Cup, won't they? But... Yeah. Would you have any interest in him at Aintree in, in, in the bowl? Would that be of any interest to you? Not after that run, no. No. No, not really. Um, yeah, I mean, 
You see, I, it's not a race. Ryanair's not a race I'd go overboard about. I thought it was it was a weak renewal when Shishkin didn't run up to form. And yeah, it's 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 you know, Shishkin's got he's got more questions to answer now because like I said, even though the bear form isn't that far off his best, um, it was still pretty underwhelming and it raised a few questions for me. Okay, let's move on to Gold Cup chat, Kev. We'll come back to you for this. Galloping Deschamps, obviously absolutely brilliant, uh, beating Brave Man's game and Brave Man's game, putting it all out there and putting up one of his surely career-best performances. But he's beaten by what looks to be an absolute weapon in Galloping Deschamps. Shades of Constitution Hill in terms of the hype beforehand, the belief, the hope, the pressure, etc., etc. We all wanted him to deliver. We're all questioning his staying ability. And then he goes and puts in a performance like that. And I think many people were left just saying, wow, we've seen a very, very special Gold Cup winner there in what we knew was a deep race beforehand, but proved to be in afterwards as well in terms of the right horses in Brave Man's game anyway, finishing in the places. But um, I mean, I guess, I, I suppose coming to the ride, actually, Kev, you were on the ITV team. You're, you were there. You could hear what they were saying. This whole line about, as Tony's already touched upon it, being one of the best rides ever or best rides in Gold Cup history. For me personally, I don't really get that angle. He, he got, gave him a load of cover like he was asked to do. I think those were the riding instructions. He settled him, didn't make his move too soon, came there swinging on, on by far the best horse in the race and won going away at the line. I personally don't understand this edge of this being the best ride ever. I'm just going to put it no, out there. No, I thought it was a brilliant ride um, in the circumstances. You Explain know, it's, it's all, well, it's, it's, it's not difficult. Like, you know, it's the cold cup. You're on the, whatever, the six to four five and to ride with that much, um, with that much restraint is a lot easier said than done. You know, and he had, at every moment of that race, it, it was a case of wait, wait, wait. Like even when they're they were swinging down the hill, there it was wait, wait. Even when they're in the straight, it's wait, wait. You know, and I, I thought that was just because look, we all know the the one I suppose concern that was there was right. Will this horse stay in a really dour gold cup? And it was like a proper test of stamina. They rocked and rolled from early, and I just think Paul at every stage. In, in tricky circumstances was just doing the right thing when all everything in him would have been saying, look, I, I'm probably on the best horse. Do I need to ride this quiet? You know? Um, so I, I thought it was a super ride. Um, brilliant gold cup, you know, one of the better ones um, of recent years. Like it had everything really, like there was a bit of drama there with a, with a couple of fallers. Unfortunately, um, you know, the way it panned out with the, with the fav being written so quiet and then to arrive the best of the Irish, best of the English, you know, to engage from two out um, and jump the last together. Uh, you know, it, it was just, it was a super race. There was plenty going on in behind as well, but I thought Gallop and the Champ was brilliant. Like, how are you going to beat him? Um, like, I don't think Paul would, uh, if you fast forward 12 months and fingers crossed all as well for everyone between now and then, like, I don't think Paul would feel the need to write him like that again. Um, because we know now that he he stays a truly run gold cup um, and stays it well. So I don't think he'd need to be nearly as quiet, but given the, the doubt that was there, that's why he did it. And I think every, everyone involved can take him can take him forward now with that new information in the pot. Um, Brave man's game ran a super race. Um, you know, did, did everything right, just met a better one, got the trip perfectly fine. Um, you have very good horse, just not as good as Gallop and the Champ. Um, and yeah, no, it was a gold cup that really engaged me now. Like he's only a seven-year-old. Um, he's never that we can see from his form profile. He's never missed time of any sort. You know, one assumes he's never had any issues of note. Like that, if he can stay right, um, I would consider him like the best candidate for quite some time to like put together a body of work like a like a best mate, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so fingers crossed he stays right and he gets the chance to do that because I'd say the ability is very much there to to be a, like a multiple Gold Cup winner. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear on the ride situation, I, I can see it's a good ride. I can see he's given the horse a good ride. I just don't think that the I for me it wasn't the best ride I've ever seen in my uh, life. Yeah, what was the best ride you've ever seen? God, I'd have I to get. No, I'm putting you. But no, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. But, um, like Jesus, it, 
I wouldn't be one for heaping praise on rides either now, but watching it kind of every moment of that race. I was like, Honestly, I, I like you, Vanessa. I just didn't, when he was coming out of that, I didn't get it whatsoever. Mm. Um, like you said, considering the, the inexperience and the youth, Marine National and, and the Supreme, as Kev's already said. Uh, and like I said, I'm, I always hark back to, like I said, I'm the worst person to talk about jockeys' performances and jockeys' rides, and because I don't know anything about you know what goes into it, but you will never beat Ruby's ride on, uh, on Tidal Bay and the Lexus for me. I mean, and that was that was a, a winning ride is to some extent governed by uh, governed by kind of like coming out of uh, adversity, and like I said, but he was on the best horse. He travelled into it. He waited. You know, that, that might take some balls, but it seems... Yeah. I think if I, if I had to speculate, like, I think what, what kind of triggered such effusiveness in McCoy is that, you know, he's a, he'd obviously been there a heap of times, and I'd say you, you can know by standing beside the likes of him and Fitzy and that, you know, before that race, you can tell, like, with them... Uh, I'm sure it was the same when they were riding. Like the Gold Cup is one of those. Is Gold Cup Grand National? They're just one of those races that's just a bit different to the rest. And everyone, all the those top, even the tip top jockeys, they go into it in a, in a slightly different mindset. The pressure is that bit higher. So to in in that context to execute yes. the ride like that, I think that was what probably set him going. You know. And he did make a couple of mistakes galloping the shop, which was a no, no calamitous errors or anything. But at the same time, it could have just meant Paul going, oh, I might have to do something here. But he, he never panicked at any stage. But I put it to you, Kevin Blake, did he get a little bit of a break in the race in terms of when I looked at it beforehand, my pace map was was arseways, clearly. But when I looked at it before, I wasn't sure it was going to be pace in the race. So where he lined him up, he was taking a bit of a chance. Like in the end, because yeah, they went through the struggle, yeah. he, he, he was perfectly positioned. And um, I, I thought it was a ride of great composure. And I take your point um, about the, the Gold Cup being uh, extra pressure. But that's why he gets the big bucks, isn't it? It's like Bill Belichick says, I just, just do I was your just job. About to say, yeah, like he's a, we're not talking about an amateur or a young lad here. He's a professional. He's at the top of his game. If he can't, like, I don't know, like, look, I'm a big fan of Paul. I, I, I know him from a distance and I think it's a good ride. But I'm just like, um, he did what he was expected to do and what he's paid to do as a professional sportsman. Yeah, but the, the thing is, like, is that it would have been the easiest thing in the world for him to jump him off in the first third there, you know, and to take to take the, the low risk option. And if he came there at the last and, and ran out of steam and got beat, you know, he'd come in and say, well, I gave him every chance. But he said, right, no, I'm not going to take the easy option. I'm going to try yeah. and maximize the, this horse's chance of getting this trip in this circumstance. And that involves a, a higher risk option by riding quieter. Uh, and he executed. Um, okay. Let's move on anyway, because we've actually got loads to talk about. We can get hung up on this difference of opinion. Um, TC, do you have anything more to add about the Gold Cup in terms of anything in behind? Any takeaways or any market moves that you want to flag up from the big race? Um, no, very briefly on the Gold Cup. Obviously, the story was there was Davy Russell being uh, standing down uh, before that ride. And obviously, conflated ran really well. Um we, we, we've touched upon the positives, but obviously, as is my want, the negatives. I mean, a lot of, even though we had two winners, I thought Gordon Elliott had a really, really poor festival. Um, given the firepower he gets and the, you know, the prize money, uh, sorry, the uh, the purchase price of some of his horses, I, I had a look and he had 20 horses that started 10 to 1 or less uh, and only won one um, wow. outside Burley as well. He had a lot of disappointments. So even though he had two winners, I think he'd come away with that pretty disappointed. Obviously, he had high-profile defeat for Jerry Colomb and Mighty Potter. Um, if he had a, a, a bad festival, obviously, Davey Russell did as well. You know, naught from 16, got a bit of criticism for, you know, Mighty Potter and, and Pied Piper Kev. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that was a curious one, isn't it? I mean... Uh, we seen the last of Davy Russell. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you can criticise some of his rides there, but yeah, I, I thought standing himself down before the Gold Cup was 
was a curious one. I don't know what the gossip was there at the, the I don't know. Track, if anything. We I know where st- we know where Tony stands on the cross country chase, don't we? I think Gordon had three winners for the week, didn't he? But we don't we don't yeah. include the cross country. <laughs> well, yeah, um, well, it was about ten. The betting suggested he was tens on to win that. Well, the trip, trip. Well, wasn't yeah. He? But, yeah, look, look, look I'd say I'd say Gordon came away very, very, very frustrated, and with a lot of. Life. annoyance about, about the jockey situation I'd say because he was just dealt a stink hand there really you know his his number one um was ruled out through through injury um Davy Russell like like Gordon said it to the press on the record you know that he was asked you know well what you know was it a tough choice to, to bring Mac Davy and he said well to be honest a few of my big owners wanted them to come back and that was that um and Davy had a had a really a really particularly disappointing festival. He was placed on eight of his rides. Um, the Pipe Piper ride I I found bizarre, um, and I went I went I just thought it was interesting. I went back after that because obviously skin in the game there, but I went back and I looked and I couldn't understand why he didn't give him a backhander. Um, and I he he had the stick in his right hand and he was kind of leaning in on top of um. Uh, of um uh, of the winner and it, it just seemed bizarre to me and I I look back just out of pure sourness I suppose <laughs> bitterness and I went back and I looked at every every finish he rode in through the festival and I could only find one example where he pulled the stick through to his left hand uh, and to me his le- his left hand didn't didn't look busy at all when he was riding the finish like I don't know if he was if he was physically compromised on his left side or or, or what, but he, he certainly didn't look himself. Um, look, we know he obviously retired and unretired, but he also missed time after he came back, you know, before Cheltenham with, with, with so I, I think that the chat was, it was a rib issue. Um, so I, I don't know. It was a bit, it was a bit bizarre. I'd say there might be more to the, the conflated situation than was made public. Yeah. Um, I don't I know that. Might, um, might, might be, I think might is an understatement there. I think, mm. I think many people think there's more going on there than meets the eye, but that's what you get with, um, you know, those sort of connections, those sort of characters. And we're not even touching upon the spicy, spicy morning. uh, Oh, my God, I was about to call it the morning line. Oh, the opening show uh, in regards to Chapman's interview with Michael O'Leary, the comments he said in regards to Davy Russell, Davy Russell's spicy response. There was plenty going on, Brendan, behind the scenes this week, not just with that team, but other teams as well. Um, but I suppose it comes down to expectation versus reality, doesn't it? You know, there's so much expectation, as TC said, in terms of horses' price tags in that day in that Gordon Elliott yard and coming to Cheltenham and they put so much on it. And then the reality going home with the three winners and, you know, questioning whether that was a good week or not. And then you flip it around to someone like our champion trainer and Paul Nichols over here. You know, everyone was kind of, oh, I'd be lucky to get one or two winners with the big guns, specifically Hermes Allen, really. All the focus was on him. And then he goes away having had a great week with his two grade one wins and his second in the Gold Cup. And yeah, just for me, it comes back down to that expectation going into it versus what you come out with. Well, I mean, this is a fair point. I don't, I, I, I suppose maybe Gordon, I mean, he's a terrific trainer. He's been a, a, a great success story and a massive respect for how he's clawed himself up. Uh, but he is buying these horses there for the top prices in these boutique sales. And I thought, I mean, if, if you ask me uh, logically, I would say that's the way to go about it because they're sorting them out in the point to point field. Then they go to these boutique sales, they're making mad money, but you're getting, you're, you're buying the most promising horses and training. But for whatever reason, well, obviously he has different people looking at horses for him, but Willie Mullins seems to be able to source better stock than Gordon Elliott. And uh, he probably has to improve his game there. Well, there's a key difference, isn't there, in that Gordon has essentially gone not not quite all in, but pretty much all in on Irish points, um, and that's like he's been dominating those sales for a number of years now. Like I, I put together the, you know, every horse that made you know two hundred grand plus at a point to point sale for the last few years. Like in Gordon's name is just utterly dominant, whereas Willie um, is much more active in France. Uh, and has a team in place there. Like you look at the, and now Cheltenham wasn't quite as stark as, as the rest of the season, but like for, there was more French breads than anything else at Cheltenham um, mm-hmm. this, this, this season. And like through the whole of the season, like French breads have been dominant. 
Um, so where they're, you know, they, they do things differently there. Like my, my kind of longstanding view is that they, the French have it right and we probably have it wrong in terms of how, how they breed the variety of sire lines they use um, and the way they, they they bring those horses on, like getting stuck into them much earlier. Like, I think they have that right and we've had it wrong. I think we're catching up, but we're not there yet. And yeah. like Gordon has pushed an awful lot of chips in behind Irish points. Look, we know Irish points, they produce a whole heap of, um, uh, of top-class horses, but um, Willie is, is probably out buying everyone, not just Gordon. At the minute, and yeah, you know, these uh, these are long old cycles, you know, and they, they can take and take a fair bit of time to turn around. If um, like the horses he's been buying for the last couple of years are his bread and butter for the next few years, so yeah, interesting times. It is, and it's very much that French versus the Irish point clash from two different yards, and also ties into different training methods, different gallops. That you know, all of that stuff plays to one team with their French horses and another team with the Irish point setup. Uh, it is very intriguing, but let's move away from the horses chat and top, uh, tackle a few other topics, I should say, sort of away from the actual horses and jockeys and trainers, etc. TC, we will start with you. Um, well, actually, one of the things I was going to ask, what was this left field question, but like biggest gamble of the week or biggest like I don't know, miss misstep of the week in terms of markets. What were some of the big market observations? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't go in. I won't, you know, people know my my position on betting coverage on the, on the TV, and, and in general, the the coverage I saw was excellent, but just the betting coverage was was pretty woeful. The the main one was absolutely bizarre. Was the move for Hermes Allen in the Valley oh, yeah. and the drift on Ampere and Passo now? It's not his fault because that's not his job. But I mean, Ruby and um, and Ed Chamberlain were talking about what a great SP in Perry Passy was at five to two, and it was considering the, the morning price. But on Betfair, there was a massive move for Hermes Allen and a massive drift on Imperium Passy, who always traded um, over a point above the industry industry show. It was absolutely bizarre. There were other ones as well. The Real Wacker doubled in price from twenty four hours previously. Wow. Um, the likes of Camprond, you know, five to one anti-post favourite the week before, went off at 46 on Betfair. <laughs> as, as Brendan will will probably will probably underline, the markets are just impossible to predict at Cheltenham. And the, the last five to ten minutes of trading on nearly every race, there were gambles left, right, and centre. I mean, Sam three Sam, minutes. It could happen in three minutes before the race. It's there were and there was there were kind of like you know false gambles in the morning. Kevin's, uh, you know, Joseph San Salvador went from 24 to 9.8 favourite in the morning. The next time I looked, he was back out to 24. And, you know, these are chunky Betfair markets. I don't know whether someone was spoofing the market, but they've obviously got about six figures in their account if they are doing it. I found the markets absolutely fascinating. And like I said, that's the kind of thing that I want part of the programmes to focus on, because especially the Ballymore betting. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, it is very interesting. And the way Hermes was, uh, Alan was ridden was like defeat wasn't an option for him either. Um, Brendan, your market observations from the week that was, does this, if these sort of like last minute drifts and gambles, et cetera, I mean, is this the final nails in the coffin for anti post betting if you can mm. hold your line and hold out for uh, three minutes before the off and then get stuck into a horse at double figure price than what you thought you were going to get it at? Well, I, 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 I mean, they certainly don't be afraid of a horse's drifting. Camprond is is the obvious example there, like with the the, the green and gold, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You would think that the, that a horse drifting like that would be completely doomed, and he ran off. His face was arguably an, an, an unlucky loser. But I mean, I, I think Tony said summed it up summed it up well. I was texting earlier in, in the week, and I said the the, the markets. In the Weimar Republic, were less volatile than Cheltenham just before <laughs> the off because I'm I'm talking three minutes before the race, uh, Empire Pass and uh, what was about three point seven, and then he goes off four point five, and in those three minutes, the reason, of course, was be, be because of the the the, the Hermes Allen collapse. But it's just like these lads, whatever they're doing with their algorithms or how, however they do it, they just wait so late until as the maximum liquidity is in the market and then they just go all in and whatever price the algorithm says they're going to get it to that price and it is it is incredible I, I i mean i just i just think it's uh 
it, it's incredible to watch. And uh, just very briefly, Tony said, the, the real whacker, like normally in that situation with a, a normal Betfair market, with a horse like him, a front runner, a good jumper, yeah. uh, a couple of minutes before the race, he was short because you know he's going to jump out in front and you'd be able to get a decent trading position. The ratio of pre-race money at Cheltenham to in-running money must be completely different to normal because the in-running market seems to have absolutely no impact on the pre-race market. Mm. Interesting. Um, away from the betting, crowds. Crowds, numbers officially down on what Cheltenham are used to having during the festival week. Uh, 60,000, sort of 68,000 was on Gold Cup Day, something around those sort of numbers. They've come out latterly and announced that they expect that those numbers will be back up. Um, in another year's time, post-COVID, et cetera, et cetera, cost of living. Kev, I must say, being there, um, I mean, when you're working, it's quite different. We're obviously in a set position. There's not too much wandering around. But when I finished my work on Five Live a couple of days, sort of wandered around the place, I did think it felt less crowded than it normally does. But having said that, it, I would go as far to say in, in a more comfortable way, I think, in, in a more enjoyable way if you're a race goer. Mm. Yeah, look, look, I wouldn't have a, an insight as such because I, I was, you know, in, in parade rings, et cetera, and didn't venture out too much. But um, look, I think that they'd be very, they're being very um, uh, optimistic in thinking that, you know, drop of 30,000 is directly related to, to the train strikes and teacher strikes and cost of living, et cetera. Look, train strikes would have been a factor, but geez, that's an awful lot, of, that's an awful lot less people. Um, and uh, no harm, um, I dare say. Um, I think, you know, like speaking to people there in the few weeks, you know, there's plenty of people that I'd be familiar with anecdotally that didn't go this year because they had a bad experience last year. And they felt it was all just too much of a too much of a scrum everywhere. Um, so no bad thing. And um, look, will be a bad thing for the, the jockey club finances, one assumes. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the response is if they if they play around with ticket prices or, or take a different approach. But it, it's no harm. It, it's no harm. Look, it, it didn't feel... Um, it didn't feel like it was down. The atmosphere was fabulous. You know, uh, I, I think race score experience, again, anecdotally, seemed to be up. So, look, it, it, it's a bit of a hit to take, but, um, and I wouldn't be betting on it bouncing back um, a massive amount next year, I dare say, but look, time will tell. But look, I think I think the Jockey Club will hopefully have learned from this year that um, on, on a number of fronts, um, less can be more. And mm. it, it, it'll be interesting to see um, how it how it all pans out for next year. I think I think the I think the jockey club will be privately shocked at this. Um, I don't know if you remember we had a question on this show three weeks ago about why is Cheltenham everywhere I look Cheltenham was being promoted. Get your tickets and oh yeah, you said that. But yeah. some, and, and I'm, I'm amazed nobody really picked up on it elsewhere. Now I was given some figures, an internal memo from the jockey club in. Uh, in mid-Feb, um, they were, obviously it was, when, I'll give Wednesday an example. There were 64,000 people at Wednesday last uh, on the Wednesday last year. The figures they were budgeting for uh, in, mid, in mid-February were 56,000. So obviously they were already anticipating a big drop. Now for yeah. them to get the thick end of another 6,000 less than the, the, they were expecting in mid-Feb, I reckon they'll be devastated at some of these figures. Now, as, as we've all said, the customer experience will be much better as a result of that, and it may well be a positive for next year. But for them to get 14,000 less than last uh, than last year and 6,000 less than they budgeted for just a month previously, I think they'd be pretty devastated at it, uh, by it, be, to be perfectly honest with you. And Thursday was a similar type scenario, but it's not as extreme. So... Yeah, I, I was like I said, it was it was a very good question we had three weeks ago, and you know, considering the figures I was given, yeah, I I think I think they're putting on a brave face, a very mm. brave face. Was Brendan? Was there anything? Just... Sorry, no, no, you plow on, plow on. Well, no, I was just wondering, was there anything in the fact that Wednesday was such a dirty day? Would would that have put people going? Up it wasn't that bad. Got... Like like it was oh, squally. Right. Like I I didn't think it was that bad. Like Wednesday and Thursday, like. It, Personally, it was, I felt like it was horrific on Wednesday. Really? Yeah, like I, like I was out in it, like, and I, you know, you, I was kind of... You probably out in the street, you're right there, weren't you? 
you're kind of debating <laughs> where, do you, where do you step in out of it or not like I said you didn't have to go in out of it so I didn't think but um, anyway I'm, I'm yeah, maybe but, but when you buy uh, ticket, when you're buying tickets you know beforehand you know when the people are buying tickets in February and uh, in, in late Feb the anticipation was it's going to be a great dry festival wasn't it so yeah and I don't think you'll get many walk-ups on the day at the Cheltenham Festival so yeah, yeah. The, I think I think they put in like I said I think I think they'll be pretty devastated by the figures. And it would have cost them, you know, 14,000 less than last year. That's a lot of Brandon, Brandon, Yeah, I, I said 30,000. It's actually 39. Yeah, it's a fair, it's a fair old drop. But I, I think, in fairness, I, th- I think there are some factors that they can't control that would have had an impact as well. Like, obviously, the train strikes, but cost of accommodation, like, is, is a consistent theme in that pe- people don't like having their trousers down. And look, I know... Cheltenham is great in that there's just a, a whole heap of lovely villages not a million miles away that you can stay in, um, but it, it definitely doesn't help that that some of the hospitality sector seems to be extracting the mic a little bit. Yeah, Brendan, I was just going to throw to you saying you can't really contribute to the customer race goer experience because you were too busy loading it up in a corporate box, were you? Oh, uh, on, on on the Thursday, yeah, yeah, the lovely, a lovely day out on the Thursday. Uh, my uh, what's the corporate tidbit. box like? I wouldn't know what that experience is. Oh, well, hang on, hang on. <laughs> you you, no. post, you posted a picture in in a private plane on Saturday. <laughs> you are really, you're really, you're really kind of like playing down this posh angle. Well, I, I I have to say I'm an, I'm an awful sellout for that because when I go, go to the race normally I I go from the parade ring to the betting ring to, to the stands and oh, I love being down in the trenches with my people we're the real race goers <laughs> but any time I get invited to a private box I'm just there tapping cigar ash on the peasants below so I'm a complete sellout yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Thanks for bringing it up, TC. I really did enjoy having the opportunity to take the plane out on Saturday. It was great. It was great. I haven't been able to do it for a while. So. I thought because you were moaning about driving to Chepstow on Sunday, I thought you'd think, oh, bollocks. I'll, I'll, I'll just hire a private plane. Do you know what? I thought to myself, I could just fly myself to Chepstow. That would just be just the job. But I don't know how well that would go down. Like in my, I don't know. Yeah, it might, like, might go down very badly in flames. <laughs> yeah, not quite. Um, shall we discuss the whip or the non? Yeah, yeah. This this can whip? be this can be nice and brief. Um, fair play to the jockeys, particularly the Irish ones. I really mean it. Like the level of compliance was excellent. I think six rides referred out of four hundred and forty-four. Um, include you know include all the amateurs. I think one winning ride was an issue. Um, strong suspicion that that it was Sam Twister on the real whacker for above head height. Um, fair play to them because that wouldn't have been easy, particularly for the Irish lads. And not only were they compliant, they were compliant and didn't look like they were riding in a terrified manner i.e. they came they came nice and close to the line without crossing it which is exactly where you want everyone to be in in the most competitive race of the year so um my, my proverbial hat is off to um to all of them um fair play particularly the amateurs um because i wouldn't have fancied it that it would have gone nearly as smoothly as that so well done to all jobs. yeah i mean i yeah. totally agree it sounds like it was drummed into them day in, day out uh, about this and whether or not the owners and the trainers bought into it as well as the officials. But yeah, like I say, it went off far, far better than I was expecting. And yeah, pretty exemplary stuff from the jockeys. Oh, three, three to one backers for a disqualification. I tell you what, my only wish for the festival was that when favour I won, I was really hoping <laughs> Bridget Andrew would have would have would have hit it eleven times so I've got the double up. Oh. <laughs> I was absolutely disgusted by the, the cool non-whip ride of Favour. Yeah. Uh, uh, just think, just uh, in general. Right. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say TC's right in the fact that they I mean those Irish lads, I think, you know, credit to the BHA as well. They've obviously installed instilled the rules. We don't need to go into what we think of the timing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, or the rules themselves, but They've given all they can, I think, to the Irish jockeys to help them at the Cheltenham Festival, help them get their heads around it. We know that they've had people over from England, over to Ireland, explaining the rules, showing videos, going through things, helping helping where possible as much as they can, Brendan. And luckily, or maybe it's not luck, maybe it's because they put everything in place, either way, to come out of the festival and not be talking about a disqualification or too many bans or too many rule breaches. It's a pleasant surprise, isn't it? 
Well, we have to, 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 to give the BHA credit. Absolutely. I was like you. I thought it was going to be a, a complete shambles and I did have a bet on, so on, a, horse being, yeah. on, a, on a horse being dis- disqualified, but I'm uh, ha- happy to lose that bet. I just think if there is, Kevin had mentioned in the run-up that there's this suspicion that they want to do away with the whip altogether. Now, we don't know if that's the case, but if there is a sector of the BHA that want to force that angle, they had some week, didn't they? Because the races looked like normal races. Uh, I mean, they were able to hit them less, but as I mentioned, sorry, the Burley still won. I thought it was particularly uh, noticeable in the Kim Muir. I backed Stumptown, and this was this classic whip debate where Stumptown is a horse who finds loads for pressure, and Angel's Dawn is more of a bridal merchant, but I didn't feel watching it like if if the Barry O'Neill had hit Stumptown four more times, he would have won. I thought the jockeys, they're just so good, aren't they? Getting as much out of these horses as they can without recourse to the whip. Now, mm-hmm. I still think it would be, for, for reasons, we won't go into the game, but for reasons outlined earlier, you, you shouldn't give ground on something if you're not going to get any benefit out of it. But if there is that uh, column in the BHA that want to do away with the whip, they had themselves a week, in fairness. Yep, hands up when you get it wrong. Yeah. yeah, well, no, I was, we've spoken about it plenty. I kept saying it felt like we were watching a slow-mo car crash, but hasn't quite happened, so happy days. Um, what else do we have to clean up? Uh, starts TC at Cheltenham, was that on your list, I think? What weren't you yeah. happy with? It's just uh, all week. I mean, we have problems with starts all the time. We're coming up to the Grand National next month, and we'll probably get the, the same thing there. Is But this week, it seemed pretty... On a lot of it was riling up a lot of people that I spoke to from there, and they had interest in horses, you know, false starts, you know, the idea of starting some races going around a bend. Um, I think um, I think some jockeys were pretty filthy um, at the um, at the start of the Gold Cup. Um, obviously, we won't mention Magic Days refusing after some problematical start to that race as well, the Mayor's Chase. So, yeah, I'm not sure what can be done because it's. We have, you know, this is a, you know, it's, it's pointless criticising because nobody's come up with a better idea of starting a race than coming, coming, coming and letting them go. <laughs> yeah, it did seem on a lot of people were annoyed about the starts for various reasons throughout the week mm. from from the feedback I got from 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 you know from from riders and trainers and and owners as well. Okay, interesting. And I feel like there's some other stuff that I'm missing here. New on the on the running order, new decks visibility, it says. Who's put this in here? Raise your hand, please. Nobody. Right. Well, it's, it's, it, 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 it won't be the, 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 the problem that we had last year where some people are getting them before other people. Uh, lessons have been learned, Vanessa. Lessons, lessons as as we always hope they would be, Brendan, in this case. This is, this is probably one for um for Brenda and Kevin, I mean, I, I brought up the subject to reserves and they, they, the car for reserves getting in at Cheltenham is 1pm the day before. Yeah. Now, I appreciate, you know, that's that the reason for that is because, you know, because bookmakers want it so people can bet with certainty. But it, it's just seemed a little early. For example, now I obviously I, I, I back Zanderbat and was like, Clicking on, you know, non-runners for Cheltenham for about four hours and <laughs> on the day before thinking, come on, one out, one out, one out. And obviously the next day something comes out really early and mm. and Zanderbad doesn't get in. So, but it's still order, hard done by. But yeah, order, it's, 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 it's tricky. It's, like, it's 12 p.m. on the day itself, isn't it? Yeah, slightly earlier, but it's 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 long been thus. Like the Irish have just been so accustomed to reserve systems, you know, you, you know, up to up to you know an hour before the first um, reserves could get in for a long time. They changed it in more recent years, and look, we're we're just really conditioned to them. You know, it was created to try and help. You know, when balloting was a, a major, the biggest problem in the in the game in Ireland, kind of twenty years ago. So we're a bit more accustomed to them. And um, the English um, or, or the British. Um, always seem to have an uncomfortable relationship with reserves and don't seem to like them. And um, betting industry wouldn't be in love with them for obvious reasons. Um, look, I think it's no harm to have it the way it is. Could it be a little bit later? Maybe. Um, because look, you ultimately, especially with races like the national network where it comes up, you want full fields. You want to give yourself the best chance of a full field, but there are obvious drawbacks 
it is open to manipulation. They flipped it around a bit in Ireland to try and cut down on the, the more obvious manipulation, um, i.e., you know, one owner taking one out to let it, a more, more fancied one in, etc., which we've seen a bit of over the years in big races. Um, so look, it's hard. You'll never achieve a system that that um that that pleases everyone. But I don't I don't think what we have at the minute in Britain is is too bad. Um but there will always be frustrations no matter which way obviously, it, it takes a lot of money to move markets at Cheltenham it obviously takes a lot more money than an island to get a non-runner doesn't it <laughs> I'm sure they tried though I'm sure they tried on that note I think we're about ready to wrap up this show Barry will be doing hands by now and Kevin we know you have to go Brendan you're obviously on your jolly holidays so feel like we should let you get on with it thank you for giving us your time Brendan what, what, you, what are you about to do in Sweden what are you doing yeah, over what, you, what are you off to do now um, I'm going to go on a, a boat trip. Uh, Sweden is a is an, an island city, so I'm going to go around uh, some of the islands while they're still light. Because it's a it's an hour later here. Needless to say, I tuned in uh, for, for for this show an hour beforehand because I think the world revolves around me. But it turns out time differences apply to me as well, Vanessa. I hope wow. they serve that IPA draft on your boat, sir, Brendan. Yeah, they do. They do some lovely IPAs or IPA as they call it over here, Tom. <laughs> nice. Well, you enjoy that, Brendan. You enjoy that. I'm glad you're getting a bit of downtime. Go and enjoy that boat. Uh, for now, lads, thank you very much, as always, for your contributions. Thank you very much, viewers and listeners out there. We love having you along. No questions this week, because, of course, we had so much to discuss with the Channel Festival, but they will be back next week, so do fire them in. Comments feedback you know the drill i have to say that we enjoy getting them but only really if it's positive not really if it's negative to be honest with you join us again on thursday where we'll be back with racing only better but for now that was waiting <laughs>